0: Section 8 of Folklore and Legends, English. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Folklore and Legends, English, by Charles John Tibbets. The History of Jack and the Giants. IN THE REIGN OF KING ARTHUR, NEAR TO THE LAND'S END OF ENGLAND IN THE COUNTY OF CORNWALL, LIVED A WEALTHY FARMER WHO HAD A SON NAMED JACK. HE WAS BRISK AND OF A READY WIT, SO THAT WHATEVER HE COULD NOT PERFORM BY FORCE AND STRENGTH, HE COMPLETED BY WIT AND POLICY. NEVER WAS ANY PERSON HEARD OF THAT COULD WORST HIM nay the very learned many times he has baffled by his cunning and sharp inventions in those days the mount of cornwall was kept by a large and monstrous giant of eighteen feet high and about three yards in circumference of a fierce and grim countenance the terror of the neighboring towns and villages his habitation was in a cave in the midst of the mount never would he suffer any living creature to keep near him. His feeding was on other men's cattle, which often became his prey, for whenever he wanted food he would wade over to the mainland, where he would well furnish himself with whatever he could find, for the people at his approach would all forsake their habitations. Then would he seize upon their cows and oxen, of which he would think nothing to carry over upon his back half a dozen at one time, and as for their sheep and boys, he would tie them round his waist like a bunch of candles. This he practised for many years, so that a great part of the county of Cornwall was very much impoverished by him. Jack having undertaken to destroy this voracious monster, he furnished himself with a horn, a shovel, and a pickaxe and over to the mount he went in the beginning of a dark winter's evening where he fell to work and before morning had dug a pit twenty-two feet deep and in width nearly the same and covering it over with sticks and straw and then strewing a little mold over it it appeared like plain ground then putting his horn to his mouth he blew Tantivy, Tantivy, which noise awoke the giant, who came roaring towards Jack, crying out, You incorrigible villain! You shall pay dearly for disturbing me, for I will broil you for my breakfast. These words were no sooner spoke, but he tumbled headlong into the pit, "'and the heavy fall made the foundation of the mount to shake. "'Oh, Mr. Giant, where are you now? "'Oh, Faith, you are gotten into Lob's Pound, "'where I will surely play you for your threatening words. "'What do you think now of broiling me for your breakfast? "'Will no other diet serve you but poor Jack?' "'Having thus spoken and made merry with him a while,' He struck him such a blow on the crown with his pole-axe that he tumbled down and with a groan expired. This done, Jack threw the dirt in upon him and so buried him. Then, searching the cave, he found much treasure. Now, when the magistrates who employed Jack heard that the job was over, they sent for him. DECLARING THAT HE SHOULD BE HENCEFORTH CALLED JACK THE GIANT-KILLER, AND IN HONOR THEREOF PRESENTED HIM WITH A SWORD AND AN EMBROIDERED BELT, UPON WHICH THESE WORDS WERE WRITTEN IN LETTERS OF GOLD. HERE'S THE VALIANT CORNISH MAN WHO SLEW THE GIANT CORMORAN. THE NEWS OF JACK'S VICTORY WAS SOON SPREAD OVER THE WESTERN PARTS, so that another giant called Old Blunderbore, hearing of it, vowed to be revenged on Jack, if it ever was his fortune to light on him. The giant kept an enchanted castle, situated in the midst of a lonesome wood. About four months after, as Jack was walking by the borders of this wood, on his journey towards Wales, he grew weary, and therefore sat himself down by the side of a pleasant fountain, when a deep sleep suddenly seized him. At this time the giant, coming there for water, found him, and by the lines upon his belt, immediately knew him to be Jack, who had killed his brother giant. So, without any words, he took him upon his shoulder to carry him to his enchanted castle. As he passed through a thicket, the jostling of the boughs awoke Jack, who, finding himself in the clutches of the giant, was very much surprised, though it was but the beginning of his terrors, for entering the walls of the castle, he found the floor strewn and the walls covered with the skulls and bones of dead men. When the giant told him, his bones should enlarge the number of what he saw. He also told him that the next day he would eat him with pepper and vinegar, and he did not question but that he would find him a curious breakfast. This said, he locks up poor Jack in an upper room, leaving him there while he went out to fetch another giant who lived in the same wood, that he also might partake of the pleasure they should have in the destruction of Honest Jack. While he was gone, dreadful shrieks and cries affrighted Jack, especially a voice which continually cried, Do what you can to get away, or you'll become the giant's prey. He's gone to fetch his brother, who will likewise kill and torture you. This dreadful noise so affrighted poor Jack that he was ready to run distracted. Then, going to a window, he opened the casement and beheld afar off the two giants coming. So now, quoth Jack to himself, my death or deliverance is at hand. There were two strong cords in the room by him, at the end of which he made a noose, and as the giants were unlocking the iron gates, he threw the ropes over the giants' heads and then threw the other end across a beam, when he pulled with all his might till he had throttled them. Then, fastening the ropes to a beam, he returned to the window, where he beheld the two giants black in the face, and so... SLIDING DOWN THE ROPES, HE CAME UPON THE HEADS OF THE HELPLESS GIANTS, WHO COULD NOT DEFEND THEMSELVES, AND, DRAWING HIS OWN SWORD, HE SLEW THEM BOTH, AND SO DELIVERED HIMSELF FROM THEIR INTENDED CRUELTY. THEN, TAKING THE BUNCH OF KEYS, HE ENTERED THE CASTLE, WHERE, UPON STRICT SEARCH, HE FOUND THREE LADIES, TIED UP BY THE HAIR OF THEIR HEADS, AND ALMOST STARVED TO DEATH. Sweet ladies, said Jack, I have destroyed the monster and his brutish brother, by which means I have obtained your liberties. This said, he presented them with the keys of the castle and proceeded on his journey to Wales. Jack, having got but little money, thought it prudent to make the best of his way by travelling hard, and at length. Losing his road, he was benighted, and could not get a place of entertainment, till, coming to a valley between two hills, he found a large house in a lonesome place, and, by reason of his present necessity, he took courage to knock at the gate. To his amazement there came forth a monstrous giant, having two heads. Yet he did not seem so fiery as the other two, for he was a Welsh giant, and all he did was by private and secret malice, under the false show of friendship. Jack, telling his condition, he bid him welcome, showing him into a room with a bed, where he might take his night's repose. Upon this Jack undressed himself, but as the giant was walking to another apartment, "'Jack heard him mutter these words to himself. "'Though here you lodge with me this night, "'you shall not see the morning light. "'My club shall dash your brains out quite. "'Say you so,' says Jack. "'Is this one of your Welsh tricks? "'I hope to be as cunning as you.' "'Then, getting out of bed,' and feeling about the room in the dark, he found a thick billet of wood and laid it in the bed in his stead. Then he hid himself in a dark corner of the room. In the dead time of the night came the giant with his club, and he struck several blows on the bed where Jack had artfully laid the billet. Then the giant returned back to his own room, supposing he had broken all his bones early in the morning jack came to thank him for his lodging oh said the giant how have you rested did you see anything in the night no said jack but a rat gave me three or four slaps with his tail soon after the giant went to breakfast on a great bowl of hasty pudding "'giving Jack but a small quantity. "'Jack, being loath to let him know he could not eat with him, "'got a leather bag, and, putting it artfully under his coat, "'put the pudding into it. "'Then he told the giant he would show him a trick, "'and, taking up a knife, he ripped open the bag "'and out fell the pudding. "'The giant thought he had cut open his stomach "'and taken the pudding out.' Odds splutters,'' says he, ''her can do that herself.'' And, taking the knife up, he cut himself so badly that he fell down and died. Thus Jack outwitted the Welsh giant and proceeded on his journey. King Arthur's only son desired his father to furnish him with a certain sum of money, that he might go and seek his fortune in the Principality of Wales, where a beautiful lady lived, whom he had heard was possessed with seven evil spirits. The king, his father, counseled him against it, yet he could not be persuaded, so the favor was granted, which was one horse loaded with money, and another to ride on. Thus he went forth without any attendants, and after several days' travel, HE CAME TO A LARGE MARKET TOWN IN WALES, WHERE HE BEHELD A VAST CROWD OF PEOPLE GATHERED TOGETHER. THE KING'S SON DEMANDED THE REASON OF IT, AND WAS TOLD THAT THEY HAD ARRESTED A CORPSE FOR MANY LARGE SUMS OF MONEY, WHICH THE DECEASED OWED BEFORE HE DIED. THE KING'S SON REPLIED, IT IS A PITY THAT CREDITORS SHOULD BE SO CRUEL. GO, BURY THE DEAD and let the creditors come to my lodgings, and their debts shall be discharged. Accordingly they came, and in such great numbers that before night he had almost left himself penniless. Now Jack the giant killer being there, and seeing the generosity of the king's son, desired to be his servant. It being agreed on, the next morning they set forward— As they were riding out of the town's end, an old woman cried out, "'He has owed me twopence seven years. Pray, sir, pay me as well as the rest.' The king's son put his hand in his pocket and gave it her, it being the last money he had. Then, turning to Jack, he said, "'Take no thought nor heed.' "'Let me alone, and I warrant you, we will never want.' "'Now Jack had a small spell in his pocket. "'The which served for a refreshment, "'after which they had but one penny left between them. "'They spent the forenoon in travel and familiar discourse "'until the sun grew low, when the king's son said, "'Jack, since we have got no money, where can we lodge tonight?' "'Jack replied, "'Master, we will do well enough, "'for I have an uncle who lives within two miles of this place. "'He is a huge and monstrous giant, having three heads. "'He will beat five hundred men in armor and make them fly before him.' "'Alas,' said the king's son, "'what shall we do there? "'He will eat us up at a mouthful. "'Nay, we are scarce sufficient to fill one hollow tooth.' It is no matter for that, says Jack. I myself will go before and prepare the way for you. Tarry here and wait my return. He waited and Jack rode full speed. Coming to the castle gate, he immediately began to knock with such force that all the neighboring hills resounded. The giant, roaring with a voice like thunder, called, who is there none but your poor cousin jack and what news said he with my cousin jack he replied dear uncle heavy news god what privy what heavy news can come to me i am a giant with three heads and besides thou knowest i fight five hundred men in armor and make them all fly like chaff before the wind. Oh, said Jack, but here is a king's son coming with a thousand men in armor to kill you and to destroy all you have. Oh, my cousin Jack, this is heavy news indeed, but I have a large vault underground where I will run and hide myself, and you shall lock, bolt, and bar me in and keep the keys till the king's son is gone. Jack, having now secured the giant, returned and fetched his master, and both made merry with the best dainties the house afforded. In the morning, Jack furnished his master with fresh supplies of gold and silver, and, having set him three miles on the road out of the giant's smell, he returned and let his uncle out of the hole "'who asked Jack what he should give him for his care of him, "'seeing his castle was demolished. "'Why,' said Jack, "'I desire nothing but your old rusty sword, "'the coat in the closet, "'and the cap and the shoes at your bed's head.' "'Aye,' said the giant, "'thou shalt have them, "'and be sure keep you them for my sake. "'They are things of excellent use.' The coat will keep you invisible, the cap will furnish you with knowledge, the sword cuts asunder whatever you strike, and the shoes are of extraordinary swiftness. They may be serviceable to you, so take them with all my heart. Jack took them and immediately followed his master. Having overtaken him, they soon arrived at the lady's dwelling who, finding the king's son to be a suitor, prepared a banquet for him, which, being ended, she wiped her mouth with a handkerchief, saying, You must show me this tomorrow morning, or lose your head. And then she put it in her bosom. The king's son went to bed right sorrowful, but Jack's cap of knowledge instructed him how to obtain the handkerchief. In the midst of the night, the lady called upon her familiar to carry her to Lucifer. Jack whipped on his coat of darkness, with his shoes of swiftness, and was there before her, but could not be seen by reason of his coat, which rendered him perfectly invisible to Lucifer himself. When the lady came, she gave him the handkerchief, from whom Jack took it, and brought it to his master, who, "'showing it the next morning to the lady, saved his life. "'This much surprised the lady, "'but he had yet a harder trial to undergo. "'The next night the lady salutes the king's son, "'telling him he must show her the next day "'the lips she kissed last, or lose his head. "'So I will,' replied he, "'if you kiss none but mine.' It is neither here nor there for that, says she. If you do not, death is your portion. At midnight, she went again and chid Lucifer for letting the handkerchief go. But now, said she, I shall be too hard for the king's son, for I will kiss thee, and he is to show me the lips I kissed last, and he can never show me thy lips. Jack standing up with his sword of sharpness, cut off the evil spirit's head and brought it under his invisible coat to his master, who laid it at the end of his bolster, and in the morning, when the lady came up, he pulled it out and showed her the lips which she kissed last. Thus, she having been answered twice, the enchantment broke, and the evil spirit left her, to their mutual joy and satisfaction." then she appeared her former self both beauteous and virtuous they were married the next morning and soon after returned with joy to the court of king arthur where jack for his good services was made one of the knights of the round table jack having been successful in all his undertakings and resolved not to be idle for the future, but to perform what service he could for the honour of his king and country, humbly requested of the king, his royal master, to fit him with a horse and money, to travel in search of strange and new adventures. For, said he, there are many giants yet living in the remote parts of the kingdom, and in the dominions of Wales." to the unspeakable damage of your Majesty's liege subjects. Wherefore, may it please your Majesty to give me encouragement, and I doubt not but in a short time to cut them all off, root and branch, and so rid the realm of those cruel giants and devouring monsters in nature. Now, when the king had heard these noble propositions, and had duly considered the mischievous practices of those bloodthirsty giants, he immediately granted what honest Jack requested. And on the first day of March, being thoroughly furnished with all necessaries for his progress, he took his leave, not only of King Arthur, but likewise of all the trusty and hardy knights belonging to the round table, who, after much salutation and friendly greeting— parted the king and nobles to their courtly palaces and jack the giant killer to the eager pursuit of fortune's favors taking with him the cap of knowledge sword of sharpness shoes of swiftness and likewise the invisible coat the latter to perfect and complete the dangerous enterprises that lay before him He travelled over vast hills and wonderful mountains, till at the end of three days he came to a large and spacious wood, through which he must needs pass, where, on a sudden, to his great amazement, he heard dreadful shrieks and cries. Casting his eyes around to observe what it might be, he beheld with wonder a giant, rushing along with a worthy knight and his fair lady whom he held by the hair of their heads in his hands with as much ease as if they had been but a pair of gloves the sight of which melted honest jack into tears of pity and compassion alighting off his horse which he left tied to an oak tree and then putting on his invisible coat under which he carried his sword of sharpness, he came up to the giant, and, though he made several passes at him, yet, nevertheless, he could not reach the trunk of his body by reason of his height, though he wounded his thighs in several places. At length, giving him a swinging stroke, he cut off both his legs just below the knees, so that The trunk of his body made not only the ground to shake, but likewise the trees to tremble with the force of its fall, at which, by mere fortune, the knight and his lady escaped his rage. Then had Jack time to talk with him, and, setting his foot upon his neck, he said, Thou savage and barbarous wretch! I am come to execute upon you the just reward of your villainy. And with that, running him through and through, the monster sent forth a hideous groan and yielded up his life into the hands of the valiant conqueror, Jack the Giant Killer, while the noble knight and virtuous lady were both joyful spectators of his sudden downfall and their deliverance. This being done, the courteous knight and his fair lady not only returned Jack hearty thanks for their deliverance, but also invited him home, there to refresh himself after the dreadful encounter, as likewise to receive some ample reward by way of gratuity for his good service. No, quoth Jack, I CANNOT BE AT EASE TILL I FIND OUT THE DEN WHICH WAS THIS MONSTER'S HABITATION. THE KNIGHT, HEARING THIS, WAXED RIGHT SORROWFUL AND REPLIED, NOBLE STRANGER, IT IS TOO MUCH TO RUN A SECOND RISK, FOR NOTE, THIS MONSTER LIVED IN A DEN UNDER YON MOUNTAIN WITH A BROTHER OF HIS, MORE FIERCE AND FIERY THAN HIMSELF. "'Therefore, if you should go thither and perish in that attempt, "'it would be the heartbreaking of both me and my lady. "'Therefore, let me persuade you to go with us "'and desist from any further pursuit.' "'Nay,' quoth Jack, "'if there be another, nay, were there twenty, "'I would shed the last drop of blood in my body "'before one of them should escape my fury. "'When I have finished this task,' I WILL COME AND PAY MY RESPECTS TO YOU. SO, HAVING TAKEN THE DIRECTIONS TO THEIR HABITATION, HE MOUNTED HIS HORSE, LEAVING THEM TO RETURN HOME, WHILE HE WENT IN PURSUIT OF THE DECEASED GIANT'S BROTHER. HE HAD NOT RIDDEN PAST A MILE AND A HALF BEFORE HE CAME IN SIGHT OF THE CAVE'S MOUTH, NEAR TO THE ENTRANCE OF WHICH HE BEHELD THE OTHER GIANT SITTING UPON A HUGE BLOCK OF TIMBER, with a knotted iron club lying by his side, waiting, as Jack supposed, for his brother's return. His goggle eyes appeared like terrible flames of fire. His countenance was grim and ugly, his cheeks being like a couple of large, fat flitches of bacon. Moreover, the bristles of his beard seemed to resemble rods of iron wire his locks hung down upon his broad shoulders like curled snakes or hissing adders. Jack alighted from his horse and put him into a thicket. Then, with his coat of darkness, he came somewhat nearer to behold this figure, and said softly, "'Oh, are you there? It will be not long ere I shall take you by the beard.' The giant, all this time, could not see him by reason of his invisible coat. So, coming up close to him, valiant Jack, fetching a blow at his head with his sword of sharpness and missing something of his arm, cut off the giant's nose. The pain was terrible, and so he put up his hands to feel for his nose, and when he could not find it, he raved and roared louder than claps of thunder. Though he turned up his large eyes, he could not see from whence the blow came which had done him that great disaster. Yet, nevertheless, he took up his iron-knotted club and began to lay about him like one that was stark staring mad. "'Nay,' quoth Jack, "'if you are for that sport, then I will dispatch you quickly.' for I fear an accidental blow should fall on me. Then, as the giant rose from his block, Jack makes no more to do but runs the sword up to the hilt in his body, where he left it sticking for a while, and stood himself laughing with his hands akimbo to see the giant caper and dance crying out. The giant continued raving for an hour or more, and at length, "'Fell down dead, whose dreadful fall had like to have crushed poor Jack, "'had he not been nimble to avoid the same. "'This being done, Jack cut off both the giants' heads "'and sent them to King Arthur by a waggoner "'whom he hired for the purpose, "'together with an account of his prosperous success in all his undertakings. "'Jack, having thus dispatched these monsters,' resolved with himself to enter the cave in search of these giants' treasure. He passed along through many turnings and windings, which led him at length to a room paved with freestone, at the upper end of which was a boiling cauldron. On the right hand stood a large table, where, as he supposed, the giants used to dine. He came to an iron gate, where was a window secured with bars of iron, through which he looked, and there beheld a vast many miserable captives, who, seeing Jack at a distance, cried out with a loud voice, Alas, young man, art thou come to be one amongst us in this miserable den? Ay, quoth Jack, I hope I shall not tarry long here, but pray tell me what is the meaning of your captivity. Why, said one young man, I'll tell you. We are persons that have been taken by the giants that keep this cave, and here we are kept till such time as they have occasion for a particular feast, and then the fattest amongst us is slaughtered and prepared for their devouring jaws. It is not long since they took three for the same purpose. Say you so, quoth Jack. Well, I HAVE GIVEN THEM, BOTH, SUCH A DINNER THAT IT WILL BE LONG ENOUGH ERE THEY'LL HAVE OCCASION FOR ANY MORE. THE MISERABLE CAPTIVES WERE AMAZED AT HIS WORDS. YOU MAY BELIEVE ME, QUOTH JACK, FOR I HAVE slain THEM WITH THE POINT OF MY SWORD, AND AS FOR THEIR MONSTROUS HEADS, I SENT THEM IN A WAGON TO THE COURT OF KING ARTHUR AS TROPHIES OF MY UNPARALLELED VICTORY. For a testimony of the truth he had said, he unlocked the iron gate, setting the miserable captives at liberty, who all rejoiced like condemned malefactors at the sight of a reprieve. Then, leading them all together to the aforesaid room, he placed them round the table, and set before them two quarters of beef, as also bread and wine, so that he feasted them very plentifully." Supper being ended, they searched the giant's coffers, where, finding a vast store of gold and silver, Jack equally divided it among them. They all returned him hearty thanks for their treasure and miraculous deliverance. That night they went to their rest, and in the morning they arose and departed, the captives to their respective towns and places of abode, and Jack to the house of the knight. Whom he had formerly delivered from the hand of the giant. It was about sunrising when Jack mounted his horse to proceed on his journey, and by the help of his directions, he came to the knight's house some time before noon, where he was received with all demonstrations of joy imaginable by the knight and his lady, who, in honourable respect to Jack, prepared a feast which lasted for many days inviting all the gentry in the adjacent parts to whom the worthy knight was pleased to relate the manner of his former danger and the happy deliverance by the undaunted courage of jack the giant-killer by way of gratitude he presented jack with a ring of gold on which was engraved by curious art THE PICTURE OF THE GIANT DRAGGING A DISTRESSED KNIGHT AND HIS FAIR LADY BY THE HAIR OF THE HEAD, WITH THIS MOTTO. WE ARE IN SAD DISTRESS, YOU SEE, UNDER A GIANT'S FIERCE COMMAND, BUT GAINED OUR LIVES AND LIBERTY BY VALIANT JACK'S VICTORIOUS HAND. NOW. Among the vast assembly there present were five aged gentlemen who were fathers to some of those miserable captives, which Jack had lately set at liberty, who, understanding that he was the person that performed those great wonders, immediately paid their venerable respects. After this their mirth increased, and the smiling bowls went freely round to the prosperous success of the victorious conqueror, but... In the midst of all this mirth, a dark cloud appeared which daunted all the hearts of the Honorable Assembly. Thus it was. A messenger brought the dismal tidings of the approach of one Thunderdell, a huge giant with two heads, who, having heard of the death of his kinsmen, the above-named Giants, was come from the northern Dales in search of Jack, to be revenged of him for their most miserable downfall. He was now within a mile of the knight's seat, the country people flying before him from their houses and habitations like chaff before the wind. When they had related this, Jack, not a whit daunted, said, Let him come. I am prepared with a tool to pick his teeth. And you, gentlemen and ladies, walk but forth into the garden, and you shall be the joyful spectators of this monstrous giant's death and destruction. TO WHICH THEY CONSENTED, EVERYONE WISHING HIM GOOD FORTUNE IN THAT GREAT AND DANGEROUS ENTERPRISE. THE SITUATION OF THIS KNIGHT'S HOUSE TAKE AS FOLLOWS. IT WAS PLACED IN THE MIDST OF A SMALL ISLAND, ENCOMPASSED ROUND, WITH A VAST MOAT, THIRTY FEET DEEP AND TWENTY FEET WIDE, OVER WHICH LAY A DRAWBRIDGE. JACK EMPLOYED TWO MEN TO CUT THIS LAST ON BOTH SIDES ALMOST TO THE MIDDLE and then dressing himself in his coat of darkness likewise putting on his shoes of swiftness he marches forth against the giant with his sword of sharpness ready drawn when he came up to him yet the giant could not see jack by reason of his invisible coat which he had on yet nevertheless he was sensible of some approaching danger which made him cry out in these following words Fee, fi fo fum, I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he alive or be he dead, I'll grind his bones to make me bread. Sayest thou so, quoth Jack, then thou art a monstrous miller indeed. But what if I serve thee as I did the two giants of late? On my conscience I should spoil your practice for the future. At which time the giant spoke in a voice as loud as thunder, Art thou that villain which destroyed my kinsmen? Then will I tear thee with my teeth, and what is more, I will grind thy bones to powder. You will catch me first, sir, quoth Jack, and with that he threw off his coat of darkness that the giant might see him clearly, and then ran from him, as if through fear. The giant, with foaming mouth and glaring eyes, followed after like a walking castle, making the foundation of the earth, as it were, to shake at every step. Jack led him a dance three or four times round the moat belonging to the knight's house, that the gentlemen and ladies might take a full view of this huge monster of nature, who followed Jack with all his might, but could not overtake him by reason of his shoes of swiftness which carried him faster than the giant could follow. At last, Jack, to finish the work, took over the bridge, the giant with full speed pursuing after him, with his iron club upon his shoulder. But, coming to the middle of the drawbridge, what with the weight of his body and the most dreadful steps that he took, it broke down, and he tumbled full into the water where he rolled and wallowed like a whale. Jack, standing at the side of the moat, laughed at the giant and said, You told me you would grind my bones to powder. Here you have water enough. Pray, where is your mill? The giant fretted and foamed to hear him scoff at that rate, and though he plunged from place to place in the moat, yet he could not get out to be avenged on his adversary. Jack at length got a cast rope and cast it over the giant's two heads with a slipknot, and by the help of a train of horses dragged him out again, with which the giant was nearly strangled, and before Jack would let him loose, he cut off both his heads with his sword of sharpness, in the full view of all the worthy assembly of knights, gentlemen and ladies who gave a joyful shout when they saw the giant fairly dispatched then before he would either eat or drink jack sent the heads also after the others to the court of king arthur which being done he with the knights and ladies returned to their mirth and pastime which lasted for many days after some time spent in triumphant mirth and pastime jack grew weary of riotous living wherefore taking leave of the noble knights and ladies he set forward in search of new adventures through many woods and groves he passed meeting with nothing remarkable till at length coming near the foot of a high mountain late at night he knocked at the door of a lonesome house at which time an ancient man with a head as white as snow arose and let him in "'Father,' said Jack, "'have you any entertainment for a benighted traveller "'that has lost his way?' "'Yes,' said the old man, "'if you will accept of such accommodation "'as my poor cottage will afford, "'thou shalt be right welcome.' Jack returned him many thanks for his great civility. Wherefore, down they sat together, and the old man began to discourse him as follows son said he i am sensible thou art the great conqueror of giants and it is in thy power to free this part of the country from an intolerable burden which we groan under for behold my son on the top of this high mountain there is an enchanted castle kept by a huge monstrous giant named galligantus who by the help of an old conjurer betrays many knights and ladies into this strong castle, where, by magic art, they are transformed into sundry shapes and forms. But, above all, I lament the fate of a duke's daughter whom they snatched from her father's garden by magic art, carrying her through the air in a mourning chariot drawn, as it were, by two fiery dragons, and being secured within the walls of the castle, she was immediately transformed into the real shape of a white hind where she miserably moans her misfortune though many worthy knights have endeavored to break the enchantment and work her deliverance yet none of them could accomplish this great work by reason of two dreadful griffins who were fixed by magic art at the entrance of the castle gate which destroy any as soon as they see them You, my son, being furnished with an invisible coat, may pass by them undiscovered, and on the brazen gates of the castle you will find engraved in large characters by what means the enchantment may be broken. The old man having ended his discourse, Jack gave him his hand with a faithful promise that in the morning he would venture his life to break the enchantment AND FREE THE LADY TOGETHER WITH THE REST THAT WERE MISERABLE PARTNERS IN HER CALAMITY. HAVING REFRESHED THEMSELVES WITH A SMALL MORSEL OF MEAT, THEY LAID THEM DOWN TO REST, AND IN THE MORNING JACK AROSE AND PUT ON HIS INVISIBLE COAT, CAP OF KNOWLEDGE, AND SHOES OF SWIFTNESS, AND SO PREPARES HIMSELF FOR THE DANGEROUS ENTERPRISES. NOW, WHEN HE HAD ASCENDED TO THE TOP OF THE MOUNTAIN, he soon discovered the two fiery griffins. He passed on between them without fear, for they could not see him by reason of his invisible coat. Now, when he was got beyond them, he cast his eyes around him, where he found upon the gates a golden trumpet hung in a chain of fine silver, under which these lines were engraved. "'Whosoever shall this trumpet blow shall soon the giant overthrow, "'and break the black enchantment straight, "'so all shall be in happy state.' Jack had no sooner read this inscription, but he blew the trumpet, at which time the vast foundation of the castle tumbled, and the giant, together with the conjurer, was in horrid confusion, biting their thumbs and tearing their hair, knowing their wicked reign was at an end. At that time, Jack, standing at the giant's elbow, as he was stooping to take up his club, at one blow with his sword of sharpness, cut off his head. The conjurer, seeing this, immediately mounted into the air and was carried away in a whirlwind. Thus was the whole enchantment broken, and every knight and lady, that had been for a long time transformed into birds and beasts, returned to their proper shapes and likeness again. As for the castle, though it seemed at first to be of vast strength and bigness, it vanished in a cloud of smoke, whereupon an universal joy appeared among the released knights and ladies. This being done, the head of Galigantus was likewise, according to the accustomed manner, conveyed to the court of King Arthur as a present made to His Majesty. The very next day, after having refreshed the knights and ladies at the old man's habitation, who lived at the foot of the mountain, Jack set forward for the court of King Arthur, with those knights and ladies he had so honourably delivered. Coming to His Majesty, and having related all the passages of his fierce encounters, his fame rang through the whole court, and as a reward for his good services, the king prevailed with the aforesaid duke to bestow his daughter in marriage to honest Jack, protesting that there was no man so worthy of her as he, to all which the duke very honorably consented. So married they were, and not only the court, but likewise the kingdom were filled with joy and triumph at the wedding, after which the king, As a reward for all his good services done for the nation, bestowed upon him a noble habitation, with a plentiful estate thereto belonging, where he and his lady lived the residue of their days in great joy and happiness. End of section 8. Recording by Linda Johnson.